a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the program. I'm Lee Lonsberry. This is Live Mike. You're listening to episode 34 of this new show here on KSL News Radio. At what point are we no longer a new show? Or 34 episodes? Maybe 100 or so? 200? I don't know. Uh, this next segment, I'm honored to be joined by a friend of mine, Utah Representative John Curris. He's a congressman uh, serving a portion of Utah in Washington, D.C., casting votes, uh, working on legislation. And he, it has been uh, made known to us here, has just introduced a new resolution, resolution rather, and it deals with the authorization for use of military force. Uh, and uh, he joins us now to talk about that. Uh, Representative Curtis, I'm grateful to you for your time. Good to talk to you, Lee. Always enjoy it. Thank you so much. Uh, listen, we here over the past few days, uh, for one reason or another, and because of various different stories, have had uh, opportunity to learn the distinction between uh, resolutions and and legislation which would uh, impact statute. Uh, we've seen that on a number of different levels. We had some folks from uh, from Uinta County just yesterday uh, who, in lieu of a resolution, had introduced a uh, an ordinance. And anyway, we We've been talking about uh, the different things, the different ways that a congressional body or legislative body, rather, uh, can communicate uh, either through resolution or through changing statute. You have introduced a resolution, uh, which does what, please? So the intent of this is to express the will of Congress. And uh, I think particularly in in this area um, right now, there's a lot of muddy water. And so. That's my intent, is to be very clear about where Congress stands on this issue. Sometimes it's it's unsure. There are a lot of different people, a lot of different attitudes, a lot of different positions and ideologies. And a resolution like this is uh, an opportunity to uh, just kind of cut through it all and give folks an opportunity to be clear on how they feel. Yeah, and especially on this issue where there is some controversy about what, um, how far the 2001-2002 AUMFs go. Mm-hmm. And um, and what is the president's authority? And that is a dangerous place to be if that if authority is um, is in question. Let me ask you this: You know this whole deal with uh, Soleimani? That is so like two weeks ago. We've got impeachment going on right now. What are you, what are you doing, <laughs> reaching back uh, and re- and reviving the old storylines? I, I was just telling Amy, it's like you started the show at a pretty good time. You guys are not lacking for major headlines, are you? No, no, not at all. Uh, listen, back, back to your resolution. Help us with a little educational effort. You mentioned the AUMF. What is an authorization for use of military force? What is an AUMF? Well, uh, I think one of the very, very important things, perhaps the most important thing we do in Congress, is declare war. And, um, and this, this relationship between Congress and the president, um, when it comes to aggression uh, with our enemies, is a very delicate one, and we tried to define it back in the Nixon years with the War Powers Act, and, and that's still somewhat contested, but it's probably you know the, the best document that we currently have, even though it has some ambiguity and, and contested points in it as well. But, but Congress in 2001 and 2002 uh, took the very appropriate step of defining uh, the president's authority as it relates to Iraq 
specifically Iraq. And um, the, the problem with what they did is not what they did. It's that it's been so many years since we have revisited that. And so uh, the president today is still going on the authority given to him uh, that many years ago. And I heard a, a stat, and I suspect it's, it's, it's an understatement, if anything, that 60% of the members of Congress were not in Congress when, when those two AUMFs were issued. And uh, so there's a lot of pressure to, and, and rightly so, to nullify uh, the, the work that was done and redo it. And this week we were asked to vote on two things, and one would have um, nullified the, those AUMFs. The problem with that is if you simply nullify it and Congress doesn't re-speak to redefine it, then you've left the United States in a very dangerous position. So many of my colleagues agree that those should go away, but making them go away without a replacement would be a very dangerous thing. So when we voted on that this week not to repeal those, it left some question in people's mind about are we advocating war? And my resolution is to be very clear that we are not. As a matter of fact, we're going beyond that and saying those, those specifically do not allow um, the president to, to take warlike actions in Iran. And and that, I think, is just really important that people, American people understand. The president doesn't want war. Congress doesn't want war in Iran. And that's, that's what this resolution clarifies. It also makes, if you read between the lines, a distinction, I think, between the, the strike that killed Qasem Soleimani uh, as ordered by the president. It makes a distinction between that action and what would be the declaration or, or, or the act of war. Well, it, it goes beyond that, too, and it, it highlights all the acts of aggression from Iran last year. And, and they were, I mean, people sometimes forget, you know, the shooting of the drone. Uh, the, the bombing of the uh, Saudis' oil reserves, the tankers, and of course, it's culminating with the, the loss of American contractors' lives, and then the, the raid of the embassy. And it, it really applauds President Trump for his restraint during all the, of those actions, and acknowledges that, that look, this is not a president trying to go to war over there, uh, but these are very, very serious uh, actions on the part of Iran, and uh, that's that's also an intent of the resolution. Let me ask you this. Uh, how is it that uh, a, con- a relatively new congressman from uh, southern Utah has himself in the middle of this writing on behalf of the United States Congress? Well, listen, I think the Utah delegation would tell you we really enjoy the fact that back in Washington, D.C., Utah swings above its weight. And I, I think you can just be really proud of the entire delegation that, um, that we, we work well together. We're a great team. Um, we, we're, we're not going to sit back and, and let people from outside Utah um, uh, take the steering wheel. This is just a, a, an entire delegation, not just myself, but the entire delegation um, works really well together. And uh, people mention all the time how we swing above our way back there in D.C. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, as, as a former staffer back there, uh, being able to compare uh, what the Utah delegation, both in the House and the Senate, where they have themselves positioned, the relationships they have, and uh, the positions of, uh, of authority and power there. Uh, Utah is well represented, and we are exerting uh, our will and our desires on uh, on the Congress pretty well. Yeah, we're going to miss your, your, your boss, your old boss. He's a big part of that. Rob Bishop's been there for 18 years and uh, has been a, a real integral part of that swinging above our weight. And he'll be missed. Uh, Representative Curtis, I'm grateful to you for your time, grateful to you for your efforts here. We'll keep an eye on this and see where it goes. Excellent.
Good to talk to you, Rick. All right, likewise. Thanks so much. Hey, in our next segment, I'm going to start a conversation that dates back to World War II, and it is the story of the Navajo Nation Code Talkers. Uh, last year, in during the legislative session here on the Hill, under the direction of uh, Senator Yamamoto, we uh, <clears throat> had passed a resolution which uh, uh, recognized the great work done by uh, Navajo Code Talkers during uh, during World War II, uh, the use of that language to create ciphers to transmit uh, messages from one place uh, to another. Uh, some of those messages used to, to coordinate uh, advances and ultimately the taking of uh, Iwo Jima. There are those who credit uh, entirely that military success on the work of uh, Navajo code talkers. Well, uh, last year in that uh, resolution, it was pointed out to us that of the 400 some odd Navajo code talkers who worked during World War II, uh, there were only eight surviving. Well, we learned this morning from a uh, word sent to us by the Navajo Nation that uh, one of those eight has passed away, uh, Joe Vandever. And uh, we are going to take the next little bit to walk through some of the history of uh, what <laughs> what the Code Talkers did. And then uh, I'm going to be very honored to join be joined uh, just after 2 o'clock by the president of the Navajo Nation. Jonathan Nez is going to call in. And we're going to talk about uh, the legacy of the Code Talkers and specifically uh, this fine man, Joe Vandever Sr., who passed away uh, just this morning at the age of 96 uh, after living a long, long life and serving his country as a Navajo code talker. That's all coming up on today's episode of Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.